Com. For 75 years, NCMIC has been doing the right thing for its customers, employees, and the community. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Miller and Condon are on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Bottom of the hour, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic will join us. More realignment, Big Ten conversation. Boy, Big Ten media days, hardly a peep. Kind of got overshadowed. This is hard to do. Yeah, under the radar. And our next guest, Matt Snyder from CBSSports.com. He is a Big Ten grad from Indiana. So are you excited, Matt, about... Well, USC against Indiana in a conference matchup in October? How about November? I, I mean, I, I guess my biggest thing would be, can we kick Rutgers and Maryland down first? Because <laughs> right. that just doesn't seem right. But yeah, I know. Then we, we, we wouldn't be coast to coast. So. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, a lot whatever. of developing situations. where the, the When the music stops, where's everybody's chair going to be or who's going to have a seat in them? Uh, fascinating. But uh, looking forward to this uh, segment. Uh, not that I'm not um, you know into this realignment, but it's nice to get away from it for a few minutes and talk a little baseball, particularly on the week that uh, lies ahead, right? Trade deadline is uh, week is upon us. There's going to be some huge, huge moves one would anticipate and maybe no team more so. So uh, in the spotlight, at least in our part of the country, than the team that you root for uh, and a lot of folks in our listening audience, the Chicago Cubs. So where are we, Matt Snyder? The first one to move will be, well, we know Jock Peterson was, but okay, the second one to move will be? Uh, It it probably will be another under-the-radar one. So I'll say somebody like Andrew Chafin. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Because I, I feel like uh, Craig Kimbrell is going to go right down to the wire because Hoyer is going to try to have a bidding war, and, and it, it, it'll work. I think Kimbrell's going to go and going to get a good package, but he'll probably be like right before the deadline. Bryant, I, I, I still think Bryant goes, um, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, probably anywhere before deadline day. I think, it, again, it's going to be – we're going to get the best possible offer here if you're looking at it through, through Jed Hoyer's eyes. So I feel like it might be a few days of, wow, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen or not? Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to be you might see Chafin, Tapera, guys like that going before deadline day. And, and Brian Kimbrell, that's going to be deadline day. So you got all this going on, and we talk about the Cubs and the trades that are going to happen aren't going to happen, but – replenishing the farm system. Matt, are you of the belief just get the best prospects you can, or is there a sense that they're targeting? They need more pitchers. They need more athletic infield. Whatever it is, is there something specific that they're targeting, kind of like recruiting, if you will, or is this just get the best prospects you can? I think it's just get the best you can because it, not everybody sticks, and you know this is a, this is a game where you're, you're kind of gambling. So, And I remember if you go back to the, the Cubs pre obviously led to the World Series championship. Uh, I think it was Mad Dog, maybe? that said like, they have too many shortstops. Where's everybody going to play? No, that's, that's nonsense. I mean, that, that works itself out. I mean, we we saw at the time, you, you had Addison Russell and Javier Baez and Sarlon Castro. Well, 
Right. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that's something that works itself out as as you as prospects graduate and you figure out where you want to play everybody. So it's yeah, you just stockpile the best possible prospects you you can find, and then you see how it shakes out, and then you go from there. And if you have extra resources at some position, well, then you trade from a position of strength down the line. Uh, Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, covers Major League Baseball. His power rankings that he puts out every week have been published here uh, this morning. Um, you know, back to the Cubs for a second. I was surprised last night watching Sunday Night Baseball when uh, when Buster only uh, mentioned and and he, the first of the Cubs that he mentioned was Anthony Rizzo. And I know that they're ten, tens of yeah. millions of dollars away. Uh, from a contract, we saw what they offered seventy. Um, conversely, who was a Goldschmidt? I think was one hundred thirty million dollars, and they're kind of the same player, maybe a couple years different. But the point being, they clearly lowballed Rizzo. I thought things would work out, Matt. I did. Um, am I going to be wrong? I thought that of the Cubs, that this is the face of the team. You can't trade him, but man, maybe they will. It's possible. The only thing is, I, I just wonder how much value he has right now because he's still a good hitter above average hitter, but he's not a great hitter. And for first base, you know, to dedicate that much resource to somebody who's just a slightly above average hitter as a first baseman, that's tough. Uh, The thing is though, the Red Sox are fit. Um, So it would be, we'll just see how much of the Red Sox want to give, but they've gotten no production from first base this year at all. That would be a good fit right there. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm with you on, it's always felt like, yeah, Chris Bryant's probably going to go. It's always felt like some other guys are possible to leave, but Bryant has felt, or Anthony Rizzo has felt like he's Cubs through and through Mm -hmm. and he should finish his career with the Cubs. Uh, especially with his relationship with David Ross. I mean, if you remember the World Series parade, he teared up when he talked about his relationship mm-hmm. with David Ross. So, it's yeah, it, it seems like he should stay. Um, I, I, I guess we'll find out. Your colleague over at CBS Sports, uh, R.J. Anderson, just put out a column earlier this morning and brought up a really good point, talking about different parts of the trade deadline and things, but something I never thought about. And the question was, will vaccination status factor into these trade deadline moves and teams that were at 85%, they bring in a player or two that takes them under the number back and forth. Do you believe that vaccination? I mean, it's got to be part of the trade conversation, right? Hey, is that dude vaccinated? Uh, honestly, I would factor. Yeah. I, I would. I mean, it's Jed Hoyer talked about it earlier when the Cubs were in first place or when they were around first place, about how they're not going to get there to 85% and how it's a competitive disadvantage to not get there. So if you're close and you're looking at numbers and you're like one or two guys away, I would absolutely factor that. And for example, the Cubs just designated Eric Sogard for assignment. We know Eric Sogard's not vaccinated. If there was a guy to me that was borderline and I was close to the threshold and, you know, it's a decision between a vaccinated guy and an unvaccinated guy, I would absolutely cut the unvaccinated guy because you're getting closer to 85%. Your guys don't have to go through as stringent uh, protocols as the, the teams that are, that are over over 85%. So, yeah, I would absolutely factor. It wouldn't be like the, the be-all, end-all or the biggest portion of my decision making but it, it would be a factor for sure mm. <laughs> the world that we live in yeah. right i mean i never even yeah, thought exactly. about that uh for a second all right trent doesn't want to talk about it so i'll bring it up 
And that's Byron Buxton. He's gone. <laughs> is, yeah. is, is he dumb? I mean, they couldn't come to good. But you know what? I kind of get the twin stance on this. He's a star. 100%. Right? He's a yeah. superstar. But for half the year. Right? At best. At best. Uh, if, if I, I don't that, think yeah. they lowballed him because the, there's the, the body of work is, well, it's incomplete on it. So well, how, does this, how does this end for Buxton? And the twins. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The, the report was like seven years, seventy million, with a bunch of escalators in there and incentive mm-hmm. clauses. That makes sense. Yep. Because you're saying, look, we know that when you're on the field, you're a good enough player to be a two hundred million dollar player. However, how often are you actually right. on the field? So it's, uh, I have no idea how that market is going to sort itself out because he he's. Probably the the biggest guy in the league where I'm just left scratching my head and saying, I have no idea what I would offer. Because when he's healthy and he plays, mm. he is absolutely a superstar, but he just doesn't play that much. So, And it's not like you can say, oh, it's only been fluky-type injuries where, like, oh, he stepped on somebody's foot and, and, and broke his ankle. And then the next year he got hit with a pitch in the hand and broke his wrist. No, it's not a bunch – it's stuff that just happens like it's muscle issues. And uh, it feels like he's always going to be banged up. So I have no idea how you could even handicap what, what he's going to get. But I 100% am on the twin side on like what they offered and the structure in which they offered it. So the White Sox get their trade deadline acquisition without having to trade anything another away. Coming. Yeah. Yep. Loy is back, and uh, with it, a big-time bat back in that lineup. When you look at this White Sox team, nobody's going to push them in the division. I don't think anybody's going to push them for the next no. two, three years in that division now. They are set up. What's next? What needs to be done, if anything, or just sit back and say, hey, we'll see you in the playoffs? Uh, maybe second base mm-hmm. with Madrigal out for the year. Right. I mean, you don't know how you're going to cover it. It's funny. I don't think it would happen. And uh, as this being my favorite player of all time as a Cubs fan, I don't want it to happen, but I feel like Javier Baez Mm. would be a beautiful fit for them if they really wanted to do that because he could shift over to second base. And it's funny, with Aloy coming back, the one weakness they have is home runs. They're really good at batting average. They're really good at putting the ball in play. They don't strike out that much. Uh, They have good on-base percentage. Their slugging's decent. They're 14th in the American League in home runs. So if they have any weakness at all, it's hitting home runs. You get a Loy back, that helps. Uh, maybe when Luis Robert comes back, maybe that'll help too. Maybe Abreu will catch a heater like he did last year in August. But if you're going to add anywhere, it's going to be on the home run. So uh, if I were Han, I would right now be calling Jed Hoyer and saying, what do you want for Javi? But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. Fun game last night. Fun series in Milwaukee. It was good to see. As we yeah. see the Cubs fans make their way to Milwaukee in mass, White Sox fans did the same thing. Uh, fun to watch. Here's my question for you. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com is our guest. Has Trevor Bauer thrown his last pitch as a Dodger? I mean, you saw maybe yeah. saw the report that it leaked out that um, – or was planted that uh, the Dodgers, that clubhouse, not real happy with with Trevor Bauer, and this was before apparently all of this stuff hit the fan. I I, I think not only is his career over as a Dodger, I mean he's got himself in some hot water. I think legally and career wise. I mean, who wants this guy with this baggage? Yeah, it, it, it's possible. Yeah, it, it's possible he's done for career. I, I mean, if he did, and it's interesting 
a lot of times when some of these reports come out, uh, there's a denial that he did it. Their their strategy so far has consensual been to say, well, yeah, he did it, but she wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if she wanted a fractured skull. I'm pretty sure no. Um, and but... a lot of the stuff on there was was just horrible to yep. think about. And I don't think he was really well liked to begin with before this. So and 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 that it shouldn't matter, but I feel like it kind of does. I feel like they already, if you already didn't like a guy as your teammate and you just tolerated him because hey he's good, but I don't care for him as a person. And then you find out about this stuff, man. I don't know. I I, I think he might be done for career. Cleveland has a new name as their mascot. It'll be the Guardians. People in Cleveland, a little closer connection to that. I think us uh, that don't have those connections, what's wrong with that? I personally wanted spiders. I thought it would have been cool. I understand their history was really, really bad, but still I thought that would have been a cool moniker there. Your takeaway, though, digging a little deeper into the newfangled Cleveland Guardians. Uh, At first I thought it was kind of laughable, um, but I get really annoyed by the masses on Twitter dunking on stuff. (laughs) So it made me a little more open-minded to it. And then I learned about the, the bridge. So right did I. Next yep, to the yep, stadium. Yep. Uh, they have the Guardians of Traffic statues yep. on there. It, it's about progress. And mm-hmm. progress, progressing away from the name that is considered racist, I, I, that fits. And with when you see the bold face, the Guardians with the I-A-N-S to end it, just yeah. like Indians, a lot of their paraphernalia can kind of stay very similar looking. They don't have to change their colors. I It makes sense to me. Um, I, I don't love it. I don't think it's amazing, but I also think a few years down the road, we're going to view it the way we do the Washington Wizards, mm-hmm. where we just accept it and don't worry about it. Yeah, at, at first it was like, you know, we, we hate change, right? But then, like you said, when yeah. we saw the piece and had no idea about the bridge with the Guardians, uh, the cement structure, I guess, was that for lack of a better word with them? Uh, Tom Hanks doing the the audio for the video that came along with it. And I like the logo. I do, I do like the logo. I think they'll sell some merchandise. So, uh, Matt, when we convene next Monday, it'll be August, and the trade deadline will have come and gone. Who's the most aggressive team? We look at this. Boy, these, this team was really aggressive. Is it the Padres? Is it Who's yeah, it going to be? I was just going to say Padres before you even said it. Yeah, it's A.J. Proler, man. And he already struck with the, the Adam Frazier mm-hmm. deal. I think they're going to continue to be aggressive. I, I think he's all in. So it's probably going to be Padres. But uh, Dodgers and, and Giants just sticking in that same division, none of those teams want to be in the wild card game. Right. Uh, so they're they're going to be aggressive. Um, I, it'll be interesting to watch the Red Sox since they have the hired Chain Bloom from the Rays. We haven't seen him deal in a situation where he can take on money. Will he be aggressive? They're they're an interesting one to me. Um, yeah. Aside from that, uh, the Mets. The Mets. Mm-hmm. The Mets are definitely going to be aggressive. First year under Steve Cohen. Yeah. They're in first place. They definitely have holes. Francisco Lindor's hurt. They could add, you know, the Mets and the Cubs are such a natural match. They really are. Because you could make cases for Bryant, Baez with Lindor hurt, Kimbrell, obviously, mm-hmm. with the Edwin Diaz meltdowns at the end of the bullpen. The Cubs and the Mets need to get together. The Yankees aggressive, or what do they do? <sighs> Man, I don't know. <laughs> After that meltdown yesterday. No. Uh, they're within striking distance of the wild card. They have a roster that, they, gosh, they should be competitive. 
I would say they'll probably be at least quasi-aggressive, but it doesn't seem like ownership wants them to go for the luxury tax just for a wild-card spot. Matt so, Snyder's... I, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. This is going to be a fun week, baseball-wise. We need it because this realignment yeah. thing makes my head hurt, but it's here and we can't ignore it. <laughs> uh, Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. Matt, thanks for popping on. We'll, or I will. Trent's on vacation next week, so it'll be you and I. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Matt Snyder. All right. Sounds good. Yep, good to talk to you. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. You can see his power rankings if you're a baseball fan. He has the Giants numero uno in his power. I can't argue. I can't either. Watched a lot of Giants over the weekend, and uh, they were on late night, so that helped out a little bit out there. Isn't the Pacific time zone for sports great? It is great. It really is. You know how many sports bets I made out there? You know of one, because it... Happened during our show on Thursday at yeah, the South. Park. Right, you went and you, you bet the, the Tigers. Tigers right? won yeah, that you one. Won. Um, Friday night, Kale, your son, and I we played fired. Craps. We played craps, and then we went to the sports book. I was just grabbing a couple of sheets, some futures sheets, and we're sitting there. We watched the ninth inning of the Dodgers Rockies game. Dodgers bases loaded, nobody out, couldn't push across a run. So it goes to extras. They get out of the jam, and Kale and I both sprint up to the window and bet the Rockies. I got him at plus 170. Kale, 90 seconds later, got him at plus 140. Apparently my $25 bet really pushed things. (laughs) Apparently so. And uh, so we went back. First uh, guy up, gets a base hit, scores a run, and then a two-run home run shortly after. So we're celebrating in the sports book together. And then I made one more, and it's one you also know about. It was France yesterday. Against oh, USA in Olympic basketball. Play that, yeah. Twelve and a half. I know. I and another one. So three and all my sports bets over the weekend. You know, I I, I got up and I looking at Twitter and I'm seeing all the um you know the the, the tweets about the game itself. I started looking for them. It's got to be on NBC. Oh, oh okay. Well, it's NBC uh, NBC SN. That's not there. USA two forty two. Bing bang. What the hell am I missing? CNBC. I don't think so. MSNBC. They're talking politic politics. Where the hell's the game? Clubbed. Peacock. Peacock. Got me. 11.25. We'd like to get you, or one of you, $1,000. Because it's time to go for the green right now on KXNO. You can win $1,000 by texting the keyword FUN to 200-200 right now. FUN to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Hi, 11.25. Scott Docterman joins the program next from The Athletic. Uh, He will give us the latest on what he's hearing. The staff at The Athletic working overtime on this whole realignment and each and every one of the tentacles uh, that are sprouting off because of it. We're here until noon on 1460 KXNO. You get your podcast. Trent Condon here for K-Guard, Leaf Freak Gutter System. After wind took down a gutter at my house a few weeks back, I did the research and it pointed one way to K-Guard, Gutter System. The Manning Brothers are Central Iowa guys that grew up here and take pride in the work that they do. And that certainly showed at my home. Professional installation on most homes in one day. No more worries about clogged gutters. Contact K-Guard Iowa today for a no-cost consultation at 515-795-7069. 795-7069 or online, KGuard Iowa. 
Wolf Roofing has learned a few things over the years. We understand that no one wants their home improvement project to drag on. So at Wolf Roofing, we plan for your project well before we set foot on site. As a result, most projects are done in one day. We also know quality is important in the big things like a proper installation and in the details like cleaning up well and using magnets to find stray nails. Find us on the web at wolfroofing.net or give us a call 225 225- one for podcasting. Victory Mounds is your ace when it comes to premium baseball and softball products and services. Utilizing our vast game and industry expertise, we sell portable pitching mounds, field equipment, and field products that we trust, use, and have used when coaching or playing. But that's not all. Victory Mounds Field Consulting Services can help you improve the quality and playability of your field. And our marketing and communication services can help you promote your facility business. Visit VictoryMounds.com to see what Victory Mounds can do for you and your nicepope.org. Now back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNL and 106.3 FM. Here's Ken and Trent. Hi, Miller and Condon. Just past 1130 on a Monday. Welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Scott Dockerman, part of the tremendous team of uh, writers over at The Athletic. I find it hard to believe there's a site that has more college football writers uh, than The Athletic. And then uh, They've got a sale going on right now, 50% off subscriptions. Uh, which was very reasonable to begin with. But if you're a fan of uh, college football, uh, what a great time to jump aboard. They have as many uh, resources and sources as anybody out there. And one of those guys, Scott Dockerman, joins us. Doc, uh, thank you, first of all, for coming on, as always. Your site's been such a, a great resource uh, over the weekend, and uh, including and through the first hour and a half uh, of the show today. You guys do such a great job, particularly on a, on a massive story like this. Yeah, we do. We have a lot of people who've been through this before and uh, a lot of people in that type of uh, arrangement. Uh, you know, so we have a, a tech expert in Sam Khan. We have the Oklahoma expert, Jason Kersey. Uh, we have a lot of national reporters who are involved in, and other ones like David Ubbin, who covers Tennessee, but used to cover right, the Big 12 for ESPN during this changeover. So, yes, it's, it's kept everybody busy, including some of us on the periphery, uh, because we know uh, that this this type of <laughs> this type of water damage is going to leak out into right. different kinds of rooms and yep. uh, drywall. Well put. Let's uh, start here with you, Doc. And you have all those great resources. But in our state, you are a beat writer for Iowa football, but plenty of tentacles and sources. I'm sure within the Iowa State Athletic Department, making it very insular. Just looking inside of the state of Iowa, what this shift means, what you know, kind of going forward. Yeah, right now it's it's really all up in the air considering everything that just happened with uh you know with Oklahoma and Texas they made it official this morning that they were leaving. So I, when it comes to Iowa State specifically in Iowa, I think there's uh, on Iowa's end, end of things it's a waiting period. It's it's what does the Big 10 want to do mm-hmm. and it's really kind of unpredictable at this point. I didn't really get a good read from the commissioner last week. Uh, when he was asked directly about it. I don't know that he knows what he wants to do. And so, therefore, I don't know if the Big Ten is just standing still or if they're doing something behind the scenes that uh, is going to kind of surprise us. Um, 
Iowa State, of course, is keeping close tabs on this situation along with the seven other schools that are directly impacted. And Iowa State, this isn't the, this isn't its first rodeo. It's been through it again previously in 2010 and 11. And it was, uh, you know, a difficult time then as well. So uh, there, there are a lot of options out there. I'm sure we don't know them at this time. Um, everything has been discussed, certainly speculated, speculated on, you know, whether I'm writing it right now or other people on our site or uh, on your radio station and, and beyond. I mean, this is going to be a, a talking point for not only days, but, but weeks, months, potentially years to come. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. So, Doc, if, if in Kevin Warren decides to proact rather than react, and there's a lot of folks that believe with Barry Alvarez now on board, um, and that's one of the main reasons he apparently is on board, or part of his job description was, I think was talked as, or written as potential realignment. Well, here we are. Um, if, they, if they do proact and try to keep up with the SEC or maybe get ahead of the SEC, and who knows what that number would be, how far west? Does that seem like the most logical uh, destination as far as trying to find some schools? We've seen the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have that long uh, profitable relationship with the Rose Bowl, etc. Do you think that those two conferences might be looking to do something? Well, that's very much a, a you know a speculative point, but it's probably one that I think the Big Ten should entertain, and that is uh, the, you know, the Pac-12 is underperformed financially, and uh, there is a separation there that people do not really know much about. But you know, financially, you have teams in some of the biggest markets in the world, and Los Angeles and San Francisco, and then you have others in on the edge of civilization, you know, in Spokane, Washington. So I think uh, if you're the Big Ten, there are nine different schools in the Pac-12 that are AAU institutions, and I think there's a lot. There's been a, an agreement, you know, they've been they've had a kind of an arm, you know, locked arm since 1947 with the Rose Bowl. So I think that there there should be some sort of discussion, whether it's a, it's a merger whether it's just simply, hey, we're going to help each other out, whether the Big Ten goes for a hostile takeover. Um, I think it would be smart for everybody to investigate every angle because um, really out of the, the, the programs out there that, that would create the most revenue and, and beyond, I mean, it is really California. Maybe the four California schools, Oregon and Washington. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of different avenues as far as, you know, realignment goes, you know, maybe it's a, a three-divisional setup in football and maybe other sports. Maybe everybody, they just kind of play their own schedule and on occasion a, an Iowa might go out and play USC on a Friday and UCLA on a Sunday or, or something like that. So I think there are a lot of different ways that the, the Big Ten can look at this. But with the ACC's grant of rights through 2036 uh, and Notre Dame being attached to that, it really takes out that big... Uh, the, the big Moby, Moby Dick for Captain Ahab here. So I, I think that that's probably the way that they would, uh, that most people would expect that they would at least investigate. Scott Dockerman going old school there. Yeah, Big Ten used to have travel partners back in the day for basketball. You go up and play Michigan to Michigan State on a Thursday and a Saturday. Might be heading back that direction once again. Doc, uh, looking back, the 12 team playoff is announced and People look around. Boy, the SEC—they acquiesce to a lot here. They—they they opened this thing up when many people didn't believe. Well, maybe there was a reason for that. Same thing with Notre Dame. I have a theory here because Notre Dame, in the current structure, they 
can't get a first-round bye the way a 12-team playoff is set up and the way that the conversations have gone. Does that mean that Notre Dame also has something up their sleeve? Do you believe that? Can you connect those dots, or do I just have a tinfoil hat on? Um, I, I think anything right now. I, hmm. Today is the day to dream big and speculate really wide. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't have a problem with it. You know, I don't think. I, I think what Notre Dame is looking at it is, look, we don't have to play a conference title game to get into the playoff, and we could actually turn this to our advantage with season ticket sales and say you have the opportunity to, you know, for write a first refusal to go, you know, if Notre Dame is a fifth through eighth seed and be able to host a game in, in South Bend, Indiana, and it gets the major opponent in December. So I think they're looking at it as more of an advantage not to play that that final round game, and uh, you know that which usually is a, is a slugfest, or at least two usually pits two pretty good teams. So I think they're looking at it from that perspective. They're going to do everything they can to, to maintain their independence. It's something that they treasure. It's, it's one of their primary tenets. However, if uh, the tectonic plates continue to change, as Jim Delaney would always say, then I think they're going to have to do what's in their best interest. And, and right now they're locked into the ACC if that's the choice that they make as to go to a conference. Now, um, Grant of Rights deals have never really been challenged they haven't gone to court they've been settled i don't know what what's going to happen there because i think a lot of leagues would be timid on challenging them because then they then their own schools could challenge themselves so right now i i with notre dame i think they're probably uh pretty patient they don't have any room to they don't have any reason to get uh uh you know either ambitious or uh you know to panic so i think they're in a pretty good spot Doc, uh, the SEC uh, and the Big Ten both held their media days last week. I have no idea if any news came out of them <laughs> regarding the schools themselves because this story quite uh, and understandably so just took on a life of its own. But you were there, so let's get into what you heard. Um, you know, with Iowa, I did read the, your, your piece on, on recruiting and, of course, a quick preview on Iowa-Indiana, which I think is going to be a stern, stern test uh, for the Hawks and, uh, and and really perhaps a tone setter as to how the season is going to go. So let's start there. What did you learn about Indiana and the respect that they have for Iowa and vice versa? Yeah, I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention, honestly, to football. <laughs> I, on Friday I did, but Thursday was all about, I wrote a Big Ten piece, um, and uh, that was kind of my primary focus. But on Friday with the Hawkeyes, uh, you know, we didn't learn necessarily a whole lot. I would say, first of all, uh, their, their COVID vaccination numbers are low. And uh, they're not quite 70 percent. And uh, they're going to have to, you know, those players are going to have to go through a little bit more rigorous training and or rigorous, rigorous testing, I should say. And uh, that's going to that's going to be important for them. And, you know, somebody, you know, they have a house full of guys and none of them have been tested and one of them gets it and the rest of them get dinged for contact tracing. It could mean the difference between winning and losing a game this year. I think that everybody should recognize that. Uh, when you look at um, the Iowa-Indiana series, I did talk to Michael Penix briefly, and he said uh, he's going to be held out of like live activities, uh, you know, scrimmages during the, the fall camp, but he'll be ready for the Iowa game. Uh, he's the best quarterback returning in the Big Ten. He averaged the most yards per game last year for the Hoosiers, and it was really the primary reason why they had such a successful year. So he poses a major challenge for the Hawkeyes. Um, I think there's some healthy respect there, but I think there's a, a, a want to on Indiana's part to, to really prove that last year was not just a fluke and a, and a COVID year, and they know they have to come to Iowa City. So I think they're pretty confident. 
And then finally, with recruiting, um, Kirk Ferentz, uh, you know, there was there was really no excuses necessarily, but there were a lot of reasons that he kind of quantified as far as, you know, not being able to bring players in at different times, and that's how Iowa usually does it. Uh, there's no question that they have struggled uh, to, to gain the, the, the big, you know, players that they've really tried to attract. Uh, but, you know, this is going to be what they classify as a small class. Uh, they're still recruiting hard for 2023. They held a tailgater yesterday. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of time. I think he anticipates a lot of uh, a lot of decommitments. And there's going to be some players that maybe nobody got to see last year that emerged this fall. So it's, it's not panic for Iowa right now, but I think there's, I, I think it'd be stupid if you said that they weren't concerned because I think everybody should be concerned that, that's associated with the program. Biggest offseason question remains quarterback. What was the conversation surrounding Spencer Petras? I'm sure everything all glowing, but anything that maybe perked your ears up a little bit? Oh, not so much. I mean, again, this was such a chaotic situation, even in Indianapolis, that it's hard to acquire much information. I don't think we learned anything from that that we didn't learn earlier in, you know, in Spencer Petras, just that, uh, you know, his, his teammates have a genuine amount of respect for him. He and Tyler Linderbaum are very close. Uh, they they respect the fact that he's on his own. He's went and spent time with a quarterback guru and Tony Rassiopi to try to uh, improve and prove his fundamentals. So they recognize that. And Tyrone Tracy really did kind of say, look, you know, by his mere presence and what he's trying to do and the way he's commanding himself, that he's uh, he's proven to be kind of the, the leader of the team. And now he just has to go out and do it in practice. Hmm. Scott Dockerman, Doc, uh, last thing for you. Uh, the Pac-12's media days there tomorrow. Timing is everything. Uh, the new uh, commissioner will have his first media day. Uh, he's going to have a lot on his plate answering, you know, about Herm Edwards and what's going on at Arizona State. But I'm sure that question will come up, but the main question is going to be, you know, what he plans to do. Has he heard from anybody? How do you think he handles uh, realignment when that question inevitably comes up again and again tomorrow? Are you talking about the new commissioner? Yeah, the or, new commissioner. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, really important for him because, you know, he's a bit more in the – the MGM type uh, part of the world rather than college athletics. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a matter of, you know, uh, you know, he's, I think he tweeted something that was very interesting to walk into this job and it's going to be, I mean, I think he's going to have to uh, try to, whether it's calm down things or he's going to have to really take a good survey of its schools and figure out what's the, the best path for the league and, and what the, what the schools are. Are they completely within lockstep? Are they ready to, to, to rally rally around the flag and, and be Pac-12 members and look outwardly to see if there are any members that make sense for that organization, or I think are, are they kind of tepid? Are they willing to listen to offers if they come there down their way? So I think he's got to he's going to get answer ask those questions. He's going to have to come up with answers. I may imagine they're going to be fairly vague, and uh, in each step of the way, 
it's it's going to be. I mean, we're going to be reading between the lines of every single you know. question we get <laughs> from here on out. No doubt about it. Uh, some one thing just popped into my head, and then we'll let you go after this. I promise. Uh, was Kevin Warren sincere about moving the conference championship away from Indianapolis, not forever, but moving it around? And what does that mean? Is that NFL stadiums only? Uh, what do you what do you think uh, that means as far as moving the football championship game and not having it uh, indoors, but particular uh, uh, potentially taking it out into the elements you know i think the first place they want to do it is to have it at drake stadium and the- <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding no, I, me. I, I don't know i, I mean <laughs> i think what they'll probably do is they're anticipating the chicago bears are going to get a new stadium in mm. arlington oh. but i also think you know this is a competitive situation i mean you want cities bidding for your services mm-hmm. if it, if it's detroit or you know chicago eventually or you know any of the other cities want to try to bid for it that I think it's up to the Big Ten to really investigate. Now, I think uh, Indianapolis, there's a lot of equity going there each and every year. It's centrally located. That's really important. I can't imagine that, the uh, you know, like last year, if Ohio State and Northwestern play in Minneapolis or play out in uh, New York, uh, that's really going to be problematic. You're going to see an empty crowd. You're, you're going to see 30,000 people instead of 65 or 70. I think that's something that they've really got to take notice of. But, but I do think they need to do their due diligence. And, uh, you know, whether they have it at Drake Stadium or Soldier Field or, or Ford Field in Detroit, I, I do think they need to, to look at it. But it, to me, I think Indianapolis is the perfect anchor, and it would take something large for them to move it from there. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, thanks for being uh, very generous with your time. We'll continue to read you and your staff. Um, the Athletic, a 50% off uh, sales drive right now going on. Perfect timing if you haven't pulled the trigger yet. Trent and I are unpaid endorsers and glad to be so. Thank you, Scott Dockerman. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ken and Trent. I appreciate your time. Good to talk to you. Uh, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Matt Hayes, uh, according this uh, to an SEC source, the expectation is for Texas and Oklahoma to play in the SEC in... 2022. 2022. You had that. Well, it has to be. Yeah. Lawyers have to get together and get what they can. And he brings up a really good point. Texas A&M, when they were invited, that yeah. was in September. Yeah. They played less than a year later. Right. Same thing with Missouri, who was invited in November. They played less than a year later. Yeah. This is July. It, it's going to happen. It's, it's going this to happen. This is the last year of the Big 12 with mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Texas. Mm-hmm. You're not getting two years out of it, mm-hmm. even. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, as long shot as it is, that neither one of those two schools are in the Big 12 championship, that the oh, final Big 12 championship. Yes. I mean, obviously, I'd love it to go to Iowa State, but mm-hmm. if it's not them, if it's one of the other if schools. If it's TCU, Oklahoma State, cares? fine, right? Yeah, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Jump up, pick them off. Keep their um, appearance in there. It's just not one of those two. Right. That would be appropriate. Probably won't happen. We'll uh, come back, wrap up the program. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO1. Trent Condon here with you. There's two kinds of rental property owners. The do-it-yourself guy and the renter's warehouse guy. You know DIY guy. He insists on handling everything himself, even if it makes him miserable. Renter's warehouse guys are a lot happier because they let my friends at renter's warehouse handle all their property management headaches. Like when a tenant clogs a crapper, DIY guy grabs a plunger, heads over, opens the lid, and nearly passes out. Renter's warehouse guy, he lets renter's warehouse handle it. When tenants are late with rent, DIY guy interrupts his workday 
to call them, email them, text them, until he's wasted his entire day. While Renner's Warehouse Guy lets Renner's Warehouse handle it. And when a tenant has an emergency at 3 in the morning, DIY Guy has to roll out of bed and handle it himself. Because when you're a DIY landlord, your tenant's problems are always your problems. Renner's Warehouse Guy, he sleeps soundly through the night. When it comes to your property management, let Renner's Warehouse handle it. Get your free rental price analysis at renterswarehouse.com today. That's renterswarehouse.com today or call 515-528-4444. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon. Potentially breaking news for me and Rappaport. Uh, quarterback Aaron Rodgers has indicated people close to him that he does plan to play this year for the Green Bay Packers. Oh, that's big news. Absolutely. Maybe this is a one year and we'll let you go and uh, they come to an agreement. Um, make everybody happy as, as possible for one year before <laughs> parting ways. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that that plays out. Uh, I saw one of the properties here in the state points bet. Has Vikings now as the division favorite? Do they? <laughs> they have the Vikings plus one twenty-five. Packers. Are the plus Packers on the board? Yes, they are. Well, plus with that news, I'm anxious to see with the, with point bets how they adjust how because we were in Vegas and it all came down off the board when it, the retirement rumor. It did very, very quickly. Very quickly. Makes sense. Yep. Do you have a play of the day? Speaking of wagering, or are you going to take a night off? <laughs> well, I won't take a night off. But to be honest. I haven't even looked at anything because well, good. Of Big good. 12 stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, right, good. So I'm not going to throw out a play. That's the way to do it. Though there is a free square, just bet against the Twins. If you've done that this year. How much money would you be up, I wonder? I saw that it was during the All-Star break, by far the most profitable team, if you were doing that, was the Twins, if you're just betting against mm-hmm. a team. I want to say at a $100 bet, it was something like $1,637. And bet, the, so bet them every game. Every single game, $100 against yeah. them. You'd be up $1,800. Well, we're up against it as far as time goes. It's um, time for us to skedaddle out of here. But you don't have to wait for, to too long, anyways, for more local programming. Murph and Andy will be here at 1 o'clock. The Fanatics uh, at 3. And then uh, again tomorrow morning, a new day starts, local programming-wise, anyways, at 6 a.m. With a number one show in the market, The Morning Rush. We're Miller and Condon, weekdays from 10 until noon. Thanks for being with us. Hope you can tomorrow as well. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.